good thing to jump to conclusions. I, I'm kind of like them. I want to know when someone's trying to tell me something. Get to the get to the end of the story. Tell me what is going to happen to me. How is this going to impact me? I don't like waiting. I don't like being stuck in the middle. The truth is we're always in the middle, aren't we? Most of the time whenever we jump to the conclusion, we find that we're way off. We're in the middle of life. I mean, you and I, if you think about the stage of life you're in, you're in the middle on certain things. Middle of parenting. You might be in the middle of your career. Maybe in the middle of school. Um, maybe you're in your second year of school. You might be in your seventh year of school. Maybe your tenth year of school, and that's still in the middle. And uh, maybe you're you're in the middle of retirement right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a marriage that is not going well, or there's just certain things. And in the middle, it's very, very easy to just lose perspective on what is true. And so in the midst of being in the middle of things, God has given us some very, very clear promises that we've got to hold on to that keep us grounded when we're moving fast through the ups and downs of middle life. The word providence is what we've been looking at in this series. Providence is a Latin word, and it breaks down this way. Pro, it means beforehand, and videre is to see. And so to see beforehand is the idea of providence. God sees the end from the beginning. He has a unique vantage point that we just do not have. And so because we're limited in our ability to see, sometimes we jump to the wrong conclusion about what's happening in the middle of our life and in the middle of struggles that we're facing. And I want to look at this today in light of Jacob, a character in the Bible, and the story that he, or his, his, his life, basically. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. We've actually looked at Abraham a few weeks ago, but Abraham, um, I'll tell you a little bit about Abraham or remind you a little bit about Abraham in a minute, but Abraham, his grandson, Abraham had a son, son was um, Isaac, and we looked at that story two weeks ago. So there's Abraham, then his son Isaac. Isaac had um, Jacob, okay? And so we're looking at Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Jacob was born a twin. He was born just after his older brother Esau. And Scripture says that as Esau was coming out, Jacob was holding on to his heel, and he came out just after him. So they're twins, and Jacob was grabbing his his brother's heel. So he was named Jacob, which means he grasps the heel. Biblical uh, peop, you know characters are named usually after scenario, the circumstance, or, you know some. Something that's happened. So he grasps the heel, so that's Jacob. Figuratively, the, the word means deceiver or supplanter. The idea here is that, and he lived a very, Jacob lived a very crafty life. He was kind of a schemer, a trickster, and he ended up later on in life tricking his brother Esau out of his birthright, which was a privilege, the blessing of his father. And so he tricks his brother Esau out of his birthright over a bowl soup. And it it kind of sets there's many things set in motion for Jacob's life but he was he was a shifty trickster kind of guy he was truly a deceiver a heel grabber i when i think of heel grabbing i think of wrestling you know it's it's a move in a sense and so but i think jacob also wrestled with god there's a theme to his life but you'll see in his own life the way that his life of being a tricky guy it ended up coming back around in his own life. But he gets this amazing promise in Genesis chapter 28. You can follow along if you'd like. 
on the screen or in your Bible, says this. This is the beginning of Jacob's story. This is the promise that God makes to him. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. He's on a journey to his, bro- to his uncle Laban's. He's been instructed to go there and take a wife for himself. Um, it's interesting. He's heading on this journey. He stops at this place. He decides to take, you know, to go to sleep. And so he finds this rock and he puts it under his head and he falls asleep. Taking one of the stones there, it says, He put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. To me, that sounds really uncomfortable, but he did it. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway. So he's dreaming, he has this stairway experience resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So angels are going up and down this ladder. And this is kind of a uh, nation. Some nations have stories of their founders. This is one of those core stories, um, Jacob's Ladder. And there's this, there's many ideas that come out, out of this uh, about access to God or these angels carrying requests up and, you know, people's request or Jacob's request to God and, and the idea that God is close at hand. But he, he sees this in his dream. He sees this amazing sight before him. At the top, it says, verse 13, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham. That's actually his grandfather. And the God of Isaac, who is Jacob's father, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. He's basically saying, I'm the same God who made the promise to Abraham. Abraham had a promise by God. And the promise to Abraham was it was nighttime and God said to him, look up at the stars. If you can count them, this, your descendants are going to be like this. It will be an innumerable number of descendants you'll have. He says, you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless your life, and then you are going to be a blessing to all nations on the earth. Everyone on earth is going to be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And so God's speaking to Jacob now, and he's reiterating the same covenant promise that he'd made to Abraham and to Isaac. And he's saying, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust, which obviously dust is you know, innumerable. God had told Abraham to you know, look up at the stars, and he's saying the same kind of idea here to Jacob. And then he goes, and you will spread out to the west. The passage goes, you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Again, he's reaffirming this covenant about his family line. There would be a blessing that would go to all people. This includes you and me. And it's coming from this family line. Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob. Verse 15, he says, I'm with you. God's saying, I'm I'm not far off. I'm close at hand. I'm with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So we see in this encounter this, one of the central ideas is God's protecting presence. God is very concerned. He's, he's communicating, I'm protecting you and I'm present with you. And that's something that reassures a person. When God makes a promise, it reassures someone, it reassures us, when we're in the middle of things, when things are falling apart, when we're going through rough times, if we've, if we've heard clearly the promises of God, then we can hang on to that in the midst of difficult times. And for Jacob, this is really where it begins. He gets this amazing, clear, unmistakable promise that God is going to fulfill his purposes in Jacob's life and through him. And we, in fact, have the same kind of promise. I'm going to show you a verse later on. 
But here's the promise to Jacob. Three things God's saying he can rely on. One, I'll be with you. Two, I'll bring you back to this land. And then three, I will not leave until I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. In spite of hearing these promises, Jacob gets a little forgetful. In spite of hearing this from God, in the middle of the story, Jacob forgets God's promise. He just he has somewhat of a memory loss and he loses perspective. This tends to happen. At one moment in time, God speaks very clearly to us, and then we can easily lose perspective. Think back to when you committed your life to Christ, if you've done that. If you've come to a point where you nailed it down, you decided to surrender your life to Jesus, and to bend the knee to Him as Lord, as as boss of your life. And there were some real clear things you understood about that. In the midst of life, you probably hit some difficult spots. And in those tough spots, tragedies, sometimes we forget about the clear things that we have heard in the past. And that's what happens to Jacob. Jacob gets his clear, unmistakable promise from God. I'll be with you. I'll protect you. But then Jacob hits, their trouble strikes, and Jacob's family goes through some real difficulty, and his memory begins to fade. And so I want to look at that story briefly of Jacob with his favorite son. Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, is sold into slavery. And through this, Jacob begins to forget about God's promises. So here's some of the backstory before we look at the text. At this point in time, Jacob has 12 sons from three different women. It's a long story. His first love, Rachel, uh, gave birth to two sons. Joseph, who we're going to look at his, his life, ups and downs of his life, and Benjamin. Joseph, though, is Jacob, Jacob's favorite. Jacob's the one that got this promise from God when he's in that dream, sees the ladder. So Jacob loves Joseph the most, gives him a, a, you know, a beautiful coat, which it meant a lot. It, it also communicated a lot to all these brothers who became very jealous of Joseph, who was one of the youngest, who was the second youngest. And so over time, these jealous brothers, they get extremely, um, their jealousy turns deadly in a sense so one day joseph has this dream and he tells his brothers hey i had a dream and in my dream all of you bow down to me now these are his older brothers he's talking to so just imagine if you're an older brother and your little brother comes and tells you you're going to bow down to me you know probably be some pounding there and that's what happens here they're thinking this guy's a dreamer and they had had it so one day they're out working, and Joseph is sent by his father out to them. And as he's coming, they see him coming towards towards them, and they said, Let, there's our brother, the dreamer. Let's kill him. They decide to plot in order to kill him. And Reuben, the oldest, he tries to step in, and he says, you know, let's not, let's not do that. Let's just, we'll throw him in this, this pit right here. So Reuben's thinking, we'll throw him in this pit. And after the brothers leave, Reuben's going to go back and get Joseph out of the pit. So they put him in this pit. And meanwhile, a group of Midianite slave traders are passing through. And the brothers decide to sell off their their brother Joseph for eight ounces of, well, what is it, 20 shekels of silver. So it's about eight ounces of silver. They sell their brother off who they despised because they were jealous. And this is what they tell their, their father, Jacob. 
says this. Then they got Joseph's robe, they slaughtered a goat, and they dipped the robe in the blood. They're making it look like he'd been killed. They took the ornamented robe back to their father. Their father's Jacob, the one who God made this amazing promise. And he said, and they said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And Jacob recognized it and he said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. It's interesting. Jacob, who is the deceiver, has been deceived. This theme of deception, it, it surfaces at different points within this family. It starts with Jacob. And it trickles down into the family, this idea of deception. Generationally has an impact. Then verse 34, then Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth because he thought his son was dead. He mourned for his son many days. Verse 35 says, all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said. Now they're still holding on to their lie. And they're going to dad and they're comforting dad. And it's not working. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. He loved him so dearly. In other words, he said, I'll go to the grave mourning for my son. I'm going to take this down to the grave with me. I'm not going to get over this. This has broken me. He was brokenhearted over the loss. And so his father wept for him. And when this happens, Jacob's memory is slowly fading. He begins to lose sight of God's promises. He forgot what God had said. Or he was slowly forgetting what God had said because he was now in the middle of a circumstance that, as far as he could tell, it just didn't, it didn't add up. He started trusting what he could see. He's living by faith instead of by, or by sight instead of by faith. And he lost perspective. Verse 36 says, Meanwhile, the Midianites, this group that had bought Joseph, sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And then a great bit of time passes, and these remarkable events occur. Joseph is is go, goes through this kind of roller coaster roller coaster experiences. God gives him the ability to interpret dreams, which allows him to rise to um, the highest position just under Pharaoh because of his dream interpretations. And so he's now serving as Pharaoh's. He's serving like he's the number two guy in the land of Egypt. And famine sweeps across the land. And one of the dreams that Joseph had was about the famine that would come. And so God gives him the ability to see what was coming and to plan ahead and to communicate to Pharaoh and to the people we need to store up. So they begin to store up in Egypt all of this grain for this famine that's going to impact Egypt and the surrounding areas. And when it actually occurs... The Egyptians are prepared because God gave Joseph the ability to see some things. So God was providing for Joseph. You know, God had provided some things. He saw some things. He placed Joseph there in the situation, providentially. Well, time obviously has passed since Jacob saw his son who he loved, Joseph. And as famine spreads throughout the land, Jacob, back there with his now, 11 sons is experiencing the same famine. They're hungry. They need food. And word gets to them that there is grain in Egypt. And so Jacob sends 10 of his sons to buy food in Egypt. He sends them with some money, but he keeps his youngest, Benjamin, who is Joseph's natural brother. They have the same mother. And so he keeps one of his sons, Jacob keeps Benjamin home. He sends ten of his sons 
to Egypt to get grain. And then there the brothers meet Joseph again in Egypt. In Genesis 42, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. Joseph is now governor. He's the one selling all the grain. And when his brothers see him, they don't know who he is, but they know he's the guy in charge. And so they bow down to him. And you can only imagine Joseph thinking, I told you so. (laughs) I had a dream about this. Now, he didn't say anything, but his dream gets fulfilled at this point. And Joseph, he begins to question these ten men about their family. And he starts kind of messing with them. If you read the text, he starts messing with them through a series of questions, trying to get as much information about their father and about Benjamin. Because he knows who they are. And... and He accuses them in the course of this encounter. He accuses them of being spies. And he puts them in jail for three days. Then you get to this in verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving household. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. So when they heard this, the brothers, they begin to try to figure out, what is God up to in all of this? What's happening here? Look at the verse. It says 21. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we wouldn't listen. And that's why this distress has come upon us. They remember back to the time when Joseph was pleading for his life, and and they still did what they did, and they're thinking, this is payback. Oh, man, this is payback. We thought we got away with it. This is payback. God must be paying back all of us for what we've done. What goes around comes around. And then Reuben, he kind of, he throws in, and I told you so, with this verse, 22. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? This is the oldest brother. But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. You see, these brothers realize that God... He is involved. He's behind all of this. And they begin to try to read the situation. They're beginning, they're, they're listening, or they're seeing what has happened, and they're trying to read. They discern the hand of God. We've been looking at providence and how it's, God is, He does things. And they're discerning the hand of God is involved in this situation, but they misread the purpose of God's involvement. They jump to some conclusions that were false. They assumed that God was about to squash him. Because of what they did. God is bringing judgment, they're saying. Which was a pretty good assumption. And the truth is, whenever we're in the middle, it's pretty easy to jump to the wrong conclusions. And to think, I'm paying for my sin. The things I'm going through must be because of the things I have done wrong. And we think God is going to punish us. But we have to be careful not to jump to the wrong conclusions, just as they're doing. In the middle is where God can do His best work in us. If we'll wait. If we'll trust Him. We have to wait, though, and not jump to the end. Look at verse 23. They didn't realize that Joseph could understand them. All along, they're talking about, look at, what, look at what's happening to us. This must have been. And Joseph understands every word they're saying. But they didn't realize it since he was using an interpreter. Verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep, Joseph did. But then he turned back and he spoke to them again. Then he had Simeon, one of the brothers, taken from them and bound before their eyes. He's kind of held like a ransom. Verse 
25 says, Joseph gave orders to fill his bag or to fill their bags with grain. Remember, they came there to buy grain. And so Joseph said, fill their bags with grain, but then also to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. And the journey back home must have been a tremendous burden as they were dealing with the deceitful decisions that they had made previously. As, they're, as that is coming to you know, their mind of what they had done, how despicable they had been, and their plan had really unraveled, it wasn't no longer, you know, God's bringing this to light is what they're thinking. Now we have to come home and we have to tell our dad, they took, this guy took Simeon and he wants us to bring Benjamin. And they're thinking, oh no, how's dad going to take this? Listen to what happens when they get home. Jo- Jacob now jumps to the wrong conclusion. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. They arrive, and it's interesting, the silver is still in their pouch. So now he's thinking, oh man, we're really in trouble. You you stole the grain, or you forgot to pay for it? He took Simeon. Joseph's already been taken. Now you want Benjamin? He's thinking, everything is against me. Jacob, his past was really sketchy. And so because of that, all of his life, I would imagine that Jacob was thinking, someday my life of of deceitfulness will catch up with me. And now he's thinking, the day of reckoning has arrived. Adam Smith, he referred to providence as the invisible hand of God because we can't see God. We fail to recognize his work, his activity, and his presence in the world. These men were convinced that God was working, but out of guilt and out of fear and shame, they misread God's involvement. Again, we do this. We misread what God is doing when we're in the middle. We jump and we draw the wrong conclusion. Sometimes things happen in in my life and in your life that we just think, man, these, these are just... Random acts, random circumstances, and we we begin to try to connect the dots on a level that just does not make sense. We see things as contingency. We think things happen by mere chance, and we don't see how they relate to each other. But God sees the connections. Take a look at that. I mean, the connect the dots puzzle. Can't really tell what that is, can you? But see, God, he sees the connections. Here's what it is. There's a jack-in-the-box. Not what you were thinking. God sees the connection. He, he connects these what seem to be dots, just circumstances, contingencies. But what you learn, if you study the Scripture, get to understand the ways and the work of God, is there are no contingencies with God. There aren't. God is in control. He's sovereign. He's also providential. He sees the end from the beginning. But out of our guilt and fear, we have the tendency to jump ahead and to start walking by sight and, and changing course and trusting in ourselves and st- rather than trusting in God. Jacob was convinced that everything was working against him, but he couldn't have been further from the truth. God was providing in a very, very providential way. R.C. Sproul, a pastor, he's, a, he's an author as well, he says, that God, that God is for us is the cardinal point of the doctrine of providence. God was for Jacob, 
He had promised this to Jacob. God is not just in control, but He loves us. He loves us. So in the middle, we we need to remember this, that God is for us. God is not against us. He's not, you know, we're thinking the hammer's going to fall, the hammer's going to fall. We need to be reminded about this promise. We need to hang on to this when we're walking through difficult things. Everyone who walks with God has to fight these feelings of God is against me. Look at Romans 8 in the New Testament, verse 31 and 32. The context of this passage is when we're struggling with sin, when we're trying to understand our weaknesses, and when we feel like we're slaves to our struggles, and, and we feel like the suffering is, you know, we, we wrestle with all these different things. We need perspective. Look at what verse 31 says. What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? The obvious answer is no one. If God is on our side, then no one can thwart his plans. No one can stand in his way. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is God's heart. His heart is not to squash us. It's not to punish us, but to take the punishment. He took the punishment upon himself. This passage continues. talks about how God has already paid in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The picture we get from Scripture is that God holds on to us. That He's going to see our life. That he, that he He sees the end and so He'll carry us through the most difficult circumstances. When we think we're slip, we're going to fall through the cracks, God still holds on to us. His love is what keeps us. It's not our all of our effort to to stay on track with Him. His love is what keeps us. He has pursued us with an, with a love. But we need to be reminded of this: that God is for us. God is for you. He He loves you. He pursues you. In the middle, God wants us to respond in some very specific ways. First off, surrender to His will and to His purpose. When you're dealing in the middle of some really hard things, surrender to His will, to His purpose. The end of the story of Joseph and Jacob is that eventually Jacob and his Jacob and Joseph are reunited. And Joseph reveals his identity. It's a really powerful story. After Jacob dies... Joseph's brothers think, now we're in trouble because dad's dead. Because Joseph is still second in in charge in Egypt. And so they're thinking, all right, now he's going to take us out. And look at what Joseph says to his brothers. You intended to harm me, Genesis 50-20, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, if you've never read this story, it's just a powerful picture. We've been looking at it through the eyes of Jacob, the father. But Joseph, he saw God come through over and over. He held on to God through that. Jesus taught us to pray. He used this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. He says we should pray and surrender to God's will, to His purpose. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So as we pray, the guide, the guidance that we're given is, God, you're worthy of all my praise. You're worthy of all my worship. Would you use me today for your purpose? It's something you ought to pray, something we're instructed to pray. Not necessarily word for word, but the heart of this is to be a part of our prayer life. God, I want to surrender to your purpose, your, your will. Help me not to write my own story. Another thing is in the middle, God also wants us to believe God's promise for us. Just like Jacob, he needed to be reminded of what God had promised. We need to do the same thing. Look at this verse in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the middle, we have to remind ourselves that God is for us. Just like Jacob, we may cringe because we've got a poor track record. We lose perspective. We get off track. And we wonder, is this the time that God is going to give me what I deserve and He'll withhold His mercy? And we slip into living by sight as well, not by faith. We have to remind ourselves, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a quote from Max Anders. It says, if you're you're not living in rebellion against God, if you're not living in clear rebellion against God, then God is satisfied with you, even with, or even in spite of, the weaknesses and sins in your life. That's hard for us to believe, but that's the truth. God, He loves you. He's already made a way for you to be forgiven through Christ Jesus. And there are some things that if we rebel against God, that He will bring discipline because He loves us. He will, as a loving Father, discipline us in order to get us back on track. He will do that. But if you're not in outright rebellion... If you're not in outright rebellion, he's satisfied with you. He's saying, I'm for you. You don't have to pay for your sin. He's already paid. We can trust God's promise in Romans 8, 28-29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. What I love about this verse is that it just it's, it puts the emphasis on what God is going to do in our life. This is his plan for those God foreknew. If you've begun a relationship with him, he foreknew you. He knew that ahead of time you'd connect with him. He also predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. He's trying to shape you into the into the character of Jesus Christ that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. When we draw the wrong conclusions, whenever we begin to do as Jacob did, we tend to bail on God and on his ways too early, and we never see what he was trying to do because we get off course. So in the middle, last thing, God also wants us to just let him work in us. Let him carry out his work. Philippians 2, 12-13, Paul reminds the church, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, not work for your salvation, but work it out. You have it. Now, let it work its way into your life. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. He's saying, God is involved. Let Him carry out His work in you. So trust God's work in your in your life. Even though you're in the middle of things, trust that God is still working. You may have experienced some setbacks. God is still for you. He's still working. Ask yourself the question, where am I in the middle right now? What am I in the middle of? that I am drawing the wrong conclusions about. 
you could probably answer that question very quickly. What is it you're struggling with that you feel like, man, I, I'm coming up with all sorts of answers and I'm not finding one that settles and satisfies. That's probably what you're in the middle of. There's some things that are that are not yet completely written and you're just, you want to get to the end. You're going to have to wait on God. I'm going to have to wait on God in those areas and trust Him and let Him accomplish His work and not and hold myself back from jumping to those wrong conclusions and allowing my heart to get squirrely and, and move in the wrong direction. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. And if you take this white connection card out, I just want to highlight three next steps as the band comes up. Here's some ways that you can apply today's message if you're, if you're wanting to make some specific applications. One would be to memorize Romans 8, verse 31 and 32. As a reminder... As a reminder that God is for you. Secondly, read Genesis 37 and write down lessons that you learn from that. That's the whole story of Joseph. It's, it's a long story, but it's worth it. It's a fun story to read because you just see, oh my gosh, how can this be happening to this guy? And then, and then God moves and works. And then this guy has some more trouble and then God moves and he works. And God's hand of providence is clear through that story. The last next step is to pray Matthew 6, 9 through 10 every day this week. Just begin to pray through the heart of that passage to work it into your life. You're asking God, Lord, redirect my life in a way that's pleasing to you. Help me to stay surrendered to your plan. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, for your truth. Lord, today is a very, very difficult day for so many. And Lord, we're, we're right in the middle of a life that is daily, uh, it's, it's difficult. God, and even, even though many of us know you, we're walking with you, we, we've experienced a new life, we have the promise and the hope of heaven, Lord, we're still residents in a broken down world, and we experience pain and sin in our own life, and suffering all around us. Lord, it's very, very difficult to stay grounded. Lord, help us to hold on to your promises. Help us to remember that you're for us, that you love us, that we do not have to pay any longer for our sin and our life of rebellion, but you've paid the price through your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to, for those here that may not know you, may not have ever committed their lives to you, I pray that today they would decide to take a step in that direction. Lord, help Help them to have the courage to yield completely to you, God. Give us the strength, Lord, to not jump to the wrong conclusions and the struggles we're facing right now. I pray you'd strengthen us in our marriages, in our parenting, in our careers, and in our decisions, in our finances. God, all the areas where we're maybe just really waiting for you to help us. And Lord, help us not to take our eyes off you. May we be a group of people who walk by faith, not by sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.